Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hi, you guys. Welcome to another episode of the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm Megan Dwyer. Today, I'm chatting with Barry Tesler, a somatic-based financial therapist. She's a mom, an author, and a compassionate supporter to women along their journey of healing their relationship with money. Barry is warm and nurturing and authentic in her approach. And her book, The Art of Money, which I bought and read years ago, is a game changer for women looking to work through their relationship with money in a gentle and mindful way, which is really unique compared to so many of the other books out there on this topic. I absolutely loved this conversation. It was such an honor to chat with Barry. She's so wise and insightful, and I know you guys are going to love to hear this conversation. But first, before we get into it, here's a little bit more about Barry. Barry Tesler is a financial therapist and a pioneer in the financial therapy field. She received a master's degree in somatic psychology from Naropa University in 1998, and she then ran a bookkeeping business for therapists and artists. In 2001, she merged all her training and created a somatic-based financial therapy methodology that she has been teaching for over 22 years now. She's the founder of The Art of Money, a year-long money school, and a mentor program for therapists, coaches, and financial professionals. Barry's the author of two books, The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness, and The Art of Money Workbook. Her work has been featured on Oprah.com, Inc., U.S. News & World Report, Reuters Money, The Fiscal Times, USA Today, The Cut, Girl Boss, Nerd Wallet, Real Simple, Mind Body Green, and Red Book. She has also been featured on the cover of Experience Life and Mindful Magazine. Barry loves to read, dance, and enjoy dark chocolate. Who doesn't? She lives in Boulder, Colorado with her husband's son, cats, and a big puppy. And in our conversation today, we talk about the importance of exploring the emotions behind money versus just focusing on the numbers. We talk about Barry's three phases of money therapy, which includes money healing, money practices, and money maps. We talk about my favorite practicing body check-ins. That's my biggest takeaway from this conversation. Money dates and so much more. You guys can find more from Barry on her website, barrytesler.com where you can see her blog, find her books, The Art of Money and The Art of Money Workbook. You can also find her on Instagram and Facebook. And she also offers two programs, one that she discusses in the episode where she walks clients through her three-step approach to using money healing, money practices, and money maps. And the other is a mentoring program for other therapists, coaches, and financial professionals to do their own work and take the skills that they learn back to their clients. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the incredible Barry Tesler. Enjoy. Hi, Barry. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited to talk to you today. I think we both share a common passion for this relationship with money 
And I'm so excited to be able to to talk with you and have the opportunity to explore more of your process and the way that you think about things. So for those out there listening who don't know you, let's start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. So I call myself a financial therapist most days. Sometimes I call myself a somatic-based financial therapist, but that's a mouthful. And I've been teaching financial therapy and leading small groups and large groups and private sessions for 22 years now. So since 2001, when I started teaching my very first financial therapy workshop in my living room and a decade before that, I trained as a psychotherapist, as a somatic therapist in my 20s and worked in the mental health fields and worked in hospice. And what else can I say? I'm the author of two books, which we'll talk about probably. Mm -hmm. I'm an an older mom. I have one 15-year-old and I've been with my husband for 22 years. Both of us are always like, what is it? How many years? I know, you lose Um, track. Yeah, so that's a little bit about me in this moment. Awesome. So I have so many questions, but first of all, let's start with, How did you get into this kind of work with your background as a somatic psychologist? Like why money, right? I I love hearing stories from others who have similar passions. And so I want to know kind of your why. Well, this really surprised me. You know, in my 20s, my favorite topics were intimacy, sexuality, body, sensuality, grief, death. So there's yeah. no money in there, right? No. And it not at all. You know, it wasn't until my student loan came due when I turned 28. And then all of a sudden I looked back on my training as a therapist and realized, wow, we did not receive any training about our relationship to money. How is that even possible to train as a therapist and not talk about our money emotions or money stories? How are we going to work with our couples when they're fighting about money? Or even how do we start a private practice and do the bookkeeping or price our services and so on? So yeah. it was such, I mean, this was, this was 1998. This was a long time ago, yeah. right? So yeah. it, things are changing, but it's still um, not being included in many counseling, therapy, psychotherapy programs. It's changing it will change, but it was such a missing piece for me that I realized I'm either going to go running away and never face, you know, this area of life for a student loan or, and, you know, I was making $11 an hour at the time with yeah. a master's, you know, as basically a social worker yep. um, in the mental health field. And so it was just one of those moments where I realized I have to learn about this. And I, I started learning about bookkeeping. That was my very first place that, you know, really blew my mind and opened my mind to, I can do this. And I actually fell in love with bookkeeping systems and really surprised myself, you know, learned QuickBooks and Quicken. And just, I could, you know, I grew up not being great at math. And I, like many women, made that connection that's not accurate, but I made the connection. If I'm not mm-hmm. good at math, I won't be good at money, right? That's a common one. I'm, it's a common one, right? And I know I'm smart in many ways, but I'm I'm not, you know, I don't know anything about this area of life. So I just started learning about bookkeeping first. And I wound up running a bookkeeping business for other therapists and coaches oh, cool. and artists 
for four years between the ages of 28 to 32. It was a great interim. I wasn't ready to hold like my shingle up as a therapist at that age, but people threw their bookkeeping at me. They had no idea I had a master's in psychology. They just wanted to have nothing to do with their books. And I always say I learned more about people's relationship to money in those four years than if I was, let's say, doing therapy with them. You know, I learned about spending patterns. I learned about income patterns. I learned about cash flow. I learned, you know, so much. So to, to get more current, what happened... 22, almost 23 years ago at this point, is that I was 32 years old, we'd moved to California. And I, all of a sudden got this idea that I was going to integrate financial literacy with emotional literacy, I was going to integrate my past training as a therapist and all the deep work that we do with all of these practical tools and systems and bookkeeping systems and money management tools that I was learning that really surprised me and integrate them. And so I created my very first financial therapy method in 2001. And I didn't come up with that name at first. It was my husband. So we were living in a teeny cabin in the Redwoods in California. I threw up all this white paper, you know, and we started putting all my concepts and my three phases, which I still teach, you know, 22, 23 years later, which we'll talk about money healing, money practices and money maps on the board. And Forrest, my husband, looked at my work and he said, this is financial therapy. And I, you know, I paused and said, what did you just say? You yeah, know, like, yeah. What did you say? And I Googled it. And one other person in Canada was using that term. And I, it, you know, she was a bookkeeper and it just blew my mind. I was like, that is, that's it. You know, so it just became for me a doorway to all those other topics, right, that I had talked about, and then obviously much deeper themes around power and self-worth and value and safety and security and responsibility and so on, enoughness, right, Yep. Um, that I've worked with folks on over the years. But it was, it, it really surprised me that it became my topic <laughs> and yeah. you know, the doorway that I went through, but I started teaching my method in tiny little groups of 10 people in my living room over and over and over and over. And, you know, that's how I learned what worked, what didn't, what was missing. And, you know, now 22 years later, I mean, for many years, and then I got online and, you know, teach a year long program that for many years had about 500 students from around the world taking Mm -hmm. it every year, very different than 10 people in my living room. So that's a little bit more about why, I mean, I'll say one more thing about that. You know, when I was first learning bookkeeping, I really like so many thought I was the only one who did not receive an education around money, you know, so that I had to work through my own money shame or all the other money emotions that came up for me, which are the same set of emotions that come up in every other area of life. Right. Which surprised me, you know, and I pretty soon realized that Everyone around me, no matter what background they came from or lineage or economic class they came from, we all had strengths around money. We all had challenges around money. None of us received a complete money education. And so I made it my mission to create a method um, that, you know, was different than all of the traditional money management books that I was learning, which there are some important things in there around, you know, what, what, what our investments are live within your means or pay down debt, but it left out so much 
And the only way I was going to have a relationship to money was if I could bring creativity and deeper meaning and all yeah. of these practices or rituals, you know, that I was learning in other ways and bring them into my relationship to money. Hence, you know, the art of money methodology that I've been teaching for all these years. So that that's a teeny bit about my story. I love it. And it hits so close to home for me. I resonate so much with that. I feel like there's a lot of financial books out there. There's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of what media out there. And I struggles to find how that all fit into my own world as well. Finances is numbers, right? It's a lot of black and white. And to me, I just never felt like I could relate to any of those, uh, any of the, that guidance. And I was giving my own financial guidance on this route, right? Like to clients given their situations. And I was kind of trying to find my own path. And that's one of the reasons, you know, again, I started this podcast because I wanted to kind of debunk some of all that stuff, like some of all those other things out there as truth, right? And not that they're not like things work. Some things work for some people, some things work for other people. And some, and a lot of that just didn't resonate with me. And I needed to find kind of my own way. And I know that there's so much more to this than just the numbers, right? Yeah. I'm an extremely, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm super sensitive. I'm super emotional. And I needed to really find my own way of relating to the dollars coming in and the dollars going out and how I thought about the dollars and what were, you know, I, I don't really even like the word goal. I like the word intention instead. Right. So I like thinking about kind of the longer term from an intentional perspective. And all of that is things that I've learned right through doing this podcast over the last two and a half years. And it's really cool when you can finally kind of like take the stuff that's out there and translate it into something that's meaningful for you. And that comes with a lot of personal self-development growth work, I know, from experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of folks like this that we either describe ourselves as highly sensitive or creatives or, I mean, there's lots of different names, right? Yep. But for all of us, you know, it's not just about numbers. It's not just, it's not black and white for us. Yeah. And one of the stats, I'm not an academic person in any way, shape or form. I'm a very experiential learner and teacher. But one of the stats that me and a colleague, Rick Kaler, who's a financial planner and financial therapist, go back and forth on is it's anywhere from 85 to 95% of our money decisions are based on our emotions. Mm, yeah. So if that is just simply true, yeah. or it may be true until you start looking, right? Or, you know, at your numbers or you start understanding your emotions. But if that's true, then just going to the numbers is not going to work. We yeah. need to understand what set of emotions comes up for us. We need to understand tools and somatic tools on how to get into our body and how to just be with these emotions when they came up and learn from them and so on, you know, and that's just one teeny little thing that I, you know, teach or help people bring to their relationship to money to understand like when they're going to make money decisions or when they're going to have money conversations, there's a lot more going on. Yeah. And so we need to have, oh. a, go ahead. I was just going to say, I just did an episode on my podcast this week about, about back to school shopping and how it's about, there's so much emotion 
going on behind the scenes. I believe honestly that all spending is emotional, right? Not just some spending, all spending is, right? There's there's some kind of feeling that it elicits inside of us, right? And so I have two boys, kindergarten and second grade that are going off to school this week. And as we think about back to school shopping and, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia from my own experience back to school shopping when I was a kid, there's also this questioning, are they going to fit in if they don't have these sneakers or whatever it is? Am I going to fit in as a mom? Am I, you know, how am I, how is, there's a lot of change, right? There's a lot of change. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of underlying anxiety that comes with this time of year. Also, I have a, my baby's going to kindergarten. I don't have a baby anymore after this, right? He's officially a big kid. So there's a lot of emotion there. And that's how I sort of preface the conversation. I don't care what you spend your dollars on. I want to know what else, what else is going on, what's going on underneath the surface and know that it's okay. You're going to have a lot of feelings as you approach this season. And as you approach going shopping and the, the experiences that you have at this time of year and make room for it all. It's all okay. <laughs> we don't need to shove things down. We don't need to shove things aside, but I just think that we tend to neglect the emotional piece of it instead of like welcoming it, right? Welcoming it as part of as part of the decision making and as part of the longer term. And I think a lot of again, we live in a society where was, women weren't allowed to have bank accounts in their own name. Women weren't allowed to own property in their own name until the 1970s because it was always assumed that women were more emotional and therefore were more irrational with money. Right. So I think we carry, like, I, I think about that now and I'm like the 1970s, my mom was an adult then she was a, an, a, like a full grown adult. And the things that we carry intergenerationally, <laughs> intergenerationally, I can't say it right, but the things we carry with us, those stories and underlying beliefs that might be in our subconscious. I think that's important to start to sort through those for our own safety and mental health. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole beginning of the money healing work that I do. So my yep. work is in three phases. Yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah. Well, but, but even, you know, it's even to, to highlight even more what you're saying and I'll get into that, you know, which is, it's, it's so interesting. Most financial planners, it is just about the numbers for them and it is about values and goals and intentions too. Right. But I love that for you, you're like, no, it's a hundred percent based on our emotions. There's some emotion, there's some story there's some family history baked into every single money decision or all yeah. these money moments. Yeah, there is. And so that's accurate, right? That's how I see it too. You know, one of my worst critiques of my book, I read them, you know, which maybe I shouldn't, but a guy came in and he's like, this author acts as though everyone has really intense emotions <laughs> around money. And, and I didn't, I never respond to comments, you know, and, or reviews, but I want to say, um, yeah, because the author is a therapist. Yeah. Yes. You know, everyone who comes to her is sharing the big emotions, you know, so that's what her world is. Right. And, yeah. and so, yes, it's really important to give ourselves space and some time to explore what does money mean to us, right? What are the stories behind our relationship to money? So what is our relationship to earning or spending or saving? Or what did we learn from our mom or grandparents? And what is their money story, right? Were they born in this country? Are they immigrants? Did they have to escape somewhere? What generation was that? You know, 
did they have to leave everything behind and start again? That was my grandparents' story. You know, they left Ukraine in the early 1900s, which was called Russia back then. And, you know, so, and that's part of their money story. And, and how is that passed down? You know, what did they teach their kids consciously or unconsciously? And then uh, me as their grandkid, you know, am I, you know, th there's entrepreneurs in my family, but in other families to decide to start your own business is so radical for, yeah. you know, we're, we're starting to verify. So it's one of my favorite questions. You know, my first book is my whole methodology and stories and the tools and practices, my own stories because I like to walk my talk and share. I'm not perfect. I'm still figuring this out. I'll be figuring this out until the day I die. And then lots of stories of folks in my community. My second book is more of a workbook and journaling questions. You know, one of my favorite questions is if you had siblings, what was your role? What financial identity were you given as a kid? And me as the oldest of three, I was given the role of the spender yep. and my siblings were the savers. Now, what did that mean to me? You know, did I embrace that role? Did I like that role? Did it have a negative connotation in my family? You know, I was given spender because I always liked a lot of things and wanted a lot of things, you know, Same. where my, yeah. my, right. And, but, and so there was like, even though my dad was a spender, my mom and my siblings were savers and more frugal. So there's a little bit of divide and how did that play out in our family? And then how is my financial identity shaped? And can we change our financial identity? Yes, we can. Can we write and change these stories? Yes, we can. To complete that, you know, in my 30s, I realized I can learn to be a saver as well and learned how to save and think about the future. So, but everything from buying clothes to where are you shopping, you know, where are you taking your kids clothing shopping? Is it, where is it? Um, that, that means something. Right? It does. And oh, yeah. It's, it really does. And as adults, we're looking back going, how did I feel about shopping at the nice shopping mall? Or did we go do consignment? Or did we? Right. My son is really into consignment and thrifting. Yep. He's 15. It's so cool. And he's starting to actually sell some things on, you know, um, Poshmark and, and Depop and all of those, however you say that which he's learning he's learning about that but to come back money healing is where i start right before we get to the numbers before we get to setting intentions before we get to how do we make a good money decision i start with money healing and money healing is everything we've started to already talk about what are the set of emotions that come up for you how to work with them what is your money story what are your strengths what are your challenges what did you learn from your family that's working well, what did you not learn? You know, and, and I'll pause because I want to give one tool here. And it may be a tool that your folks are already doing, but this is the very first tool. And people said to me, give me one thing to do, you know, to have a healthier relationship to money. I don't say learn a bookkeeping system first. I say that second. <laughs> or second, I'll say start having money dates and learn a bookkeeping system so you can look at your numbers. But number one is start doing body check-ins. Now, this comes directly from my somatic psychology background. And all it means is asking yourself to stop, pause, slow down before money conversation, before you do online shopping, before you, you know, make a money decision or purchase, and you just check in with your body. What am I noticing on a physical level, sensation level? What's the emotion? Where's my breathing? And then I always like to end a body check-in with what is one little adjustment that I can make to help me feel 
a sense of okayness in my body. It could be lowering your shoulders, doing a little shoulder shimmy, loosening your jaw, seeing if you can get your breath deeper in your belly. So this seems like a simple little tool, like what's, or it seems like, oh, is this just like meditation? It's similar, you know, but I, I invite people to do a body check-in before they're going to have the money conversation or decision or make a decision or do it in the middle. Like when I'm online shopping, sometimes I'll go, oh, body check-in, what's going on? You know, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Yeah. Am I tired? Am I sad? Am I angry? Am I pissed about something? You know, well, what's going on? Yeah, yeah go ahead. I was going to say, I feel it. I, first of all, I love this. And this is something I encourage people to do when I chat about it on my podcast as well, but not necessarily from the body perspective. I, I will say, slow down, take some breaths, check in on how you're feeling right now. And don't necessarily get into like the, you know, what, what's going on in my body, but I love this idea because, and I'm going to start implementing it myself because it's so important. There's so much that's connected, right. With your, your body and your brain, but we've always let the brain run the show. Right. So if we kind of can like get back into our body, then that takes away some of the swirling around, right. And all the um, anxiety that might be building. And secondly, I was going to add, this is so important for money conversations because money is anxiety inducing and a lot of people get nervous about it or to approach it. But you can also use this for other aspects of life too. Anything that really, that makes you nervous or any area, right? Of course. I mean, any tool that I give can be used in money and in every other area of life. And I used to use it in other areas of life and then realized, why am I not bringing it into yeah my money practices yeah. as well, or my money yeah. relationship. So yeah, before a money conversation, I do a body check-in. Sometimes I forget to do it before. And in the heat of the moment, when I'm having lots of feelings or in the middle of a car dealership, when we're about to buy a car, right? I go to the bathroom to do a body check-in. Or sometimes I forget both of those. And afterwards, I do it as a debriefing. How am I feeling now? How did that go? What would I do different for next time? Because we're always learning and we're always yeah. gathering information, right? And what did it remind me of? So, you know, sometimes online shopping and I, again, there's nothing wrong with shopping, right? But so I usually, not only do I do a body check-in, but I usually come in with some questions. Do I already have this in my closet? Do I need one? Mm -hmm. Do I really want this? You know, mm -hmm. will I get the value of it? And then, and sometimes I have to just give myself a 24-hour pause and I have to do that a lot, actually. And I just put it in a tab and then I come back the next day and I go, now, how am I, do I need this? Do I want this? Do I need this? And, you know, I ask my questions and I do another body check in. And sometimes I just, you know, yeah. get out of the tab and I don't, I don't need that bathing suit or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. or yeah, I really want these clogs. I'm going to get these clogs. You know? Yeah. So. And you, you'll know, I feel like there's a resounding yes or no when you finally give yourself the chance to slow down and ask yourself those questions, right? You'll know one way or the other. I'm somebody who just enjoys shopping for like the fun of it. And what I'm trying to do is balance where's that fine line between shopping to, again, fill that void and shopping because I want to, I want yes. to, or maybe it's something I need, or maybe it's something that I just generally want. But sometimes there's things that I shop for that I don't need or want. I'm just doing it because I'm kind of on autopilot right now and trying to avoid the rest of my life or something else that's going on, right? Yeah, and that's those are great explorations. And we all have different questions, right? And for you and for me to a degree as well, 
we talked about doing a bit more online shopping during the pandemic. I was in that camp as well. I was like, oh, I'm buying a lot of things right now yeah. <laughs> because I can't go out for dinner. Or I can't go out. Or, right. And that's definitely filling some void. And and so it's just to explore it you know, is to really get in there, explore, like, am I just wanting the serotonin hits? Is this fun for me? Um, you know, my son, just a year ago, as I was saying, just discovered shopping, it was never fun for him clothes, he was never interested. And it's something we do together. You oh, know, cool. it's something that we go to consignment, and we're looking at pricing, he's, you know, looking at pricing, and now he is reselling some of the things. So he's learning to be a little bit of an entrepreneur. But I think, yeah, we can bring our you know, is this an addictive pattern for me? What is this serving? What's really going on? And do I need to budget a certain amount? Or do I need to have a category called spontaneity? Mm -hmm. Or this is just fun retail therapy? I, you know, I, I know that can be used in a negative connotation, but sometimes it may just be that. So we may want to just have, I'm going to have a, a, a certain amount yeah. where I can just enjoy. And then other times I am going to question myself. I am going to give myself a little time out, two hours or 24 hours, come back and say, do I really need this? Do I want this most of the time? Not. And then there's going to be some things that are on our list that we, we want and we're going to get, or we're going to yeah. have some spontaneous moments. And can that be okay? You know, in our, in the larger financial yeah. house that we're but living in. If you do that, you're not going to feel the guilt about it. Like guilt, guilt and shame around spending come from not planning ahead, right? Like if you plan ahead for it, like I do that. And I, ta I talked about that recently, having a kind of designated category or designated amount each month that I can just use as kind of fun money. Like I can do what I want with it and go to Target or go to wherever and buy something silly. And knowing that I have that already planned for kind of for me anyway, reduces the shame in it, reduces the guilt that I am, oh gosh, I'm never going to use this item or why did I get this? Like, oh, this maybe because it, it, it's fun. And you know what? If I don't use it, I'll give it away or whatever it is. Like, it doesn't really matter yeah. because I have sort of planned for it, right? It's the stuff you've that- you planned for spontaneity. You've planned yes, for- exactly. you know, yes. planned for some enjoyment, frivolousness. I don't know what that word, what's that frivolousness? That's not the right word, Frivol frivolousness. Yeah. Um, um, just for some, I think we're all different. Some of us need that, you know, so it's yeah. interesting. They're saying, I just need to plan for this part of me. You know, one of the biggest questions that people come into my year long program asking all the time is, I don't know what I can afford. And that gives me so much shame and guilt and anger and sadness, the, all the, all the, every day, you know, because yeah. I don't know what I can afford and what I can't. And I say, when you get to the end of my three phases, meaning you've you've learned a lot of the practices and tools from money healing, money practices, and money maps, you'll be more equipped to know how to make good money decisions. And guess what? We're still going to make mistakes. We're still, we need to review and afterwards go, how did that go? Did I enjoy that? Was that a good decision when I do it different next time? But yes, part of making good money decisions is knowing what your numbers are, is doing body check-ins. Having self-compassion. <laughs> having huge doses of self-compassion, adding in your values in there, yeah. you know, setting intentions, checking in monthly. It's the, you know, it's the whole process that I teach yeah. um, and that you talk about as well. So there's many different components and certainly the larger picture of planning and setting intentions and then creating some categories more based on you know, values or spontaneity or fun, as we're saying, and we all define fun in different ways. For one person, it may be 
having some fun shopping experiences for someone it might be dining out for someone it might be you know it, it's all so different it's all so different yeah and and for me it's not about the thing that we're spending our money on whether that's um, you know going out to dinner or shopping or you know buying a new pair of shoes it's the it's the feeling behind the thing it's like what is that feeling that you're craving what is it that you want and i think for me having the planning right planning for that spontaneity being able to have that spontaneity equals freedom for me and that's what i'm craving because i am a full-time working mom with two young kids and i've got a lot to juggle and i'm on everybody else's schedules pretty frequently and so it's i crave that i crave the freedom i crave the spontaneity and so allowing myself to be able to go in and have that that's what that means less than the actual item that's what that means to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i feel like you know the more we can dig into what the underlying feeling is, what we're looking for. And that probably pieces together a lot of the psychology piece to this too. Well, and that's where we're all so different, right? Yeah. So for me, dining out is a whole experience that I love so much. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. both the feeling, but it's all an entire experience of either being with my husband or being with our little family or being with friends or like that to yeah. me is a one of my favorite, favorite things to do yeah. and experience. So it's a top priority for me. And I love spending money in that way. Yeah. Right. But it's different. It's so different for all of us. And then it depends on what phase of life we're in, what's going on, where's our yeah. cash flow. Right. Right. Absolutely. And it, but it's all, it's all aligned. And I think so much of that also, and this is pr probably comes with the money healing phase of your work is that self-awareness piece to it, because a lot of us, like, again, we need to slow down to even figure out what it is that makes us happy. That's aligned. What is the intent here? What are we trying to go for? What are we trying to feel? It's all of that. You know, the money healing part is about going back and understanding just what is your relationship to money and bringing awareness, which leads to understanding, which leads to making changes in your life, you know, or keeping the things that are working and changing what's not working. But awareness, mindfulness is, of course, the first step. It's the first step in therapy, you know, so yeah. that, that comes through my training as well. We have we have to, you know, I'm inviting, I'm encouraging. I think this is a really important area of life that needs our attention, just like all those other big topics that I mentioned. But as I mentioned in graduate school, we didn't talk about this, right? And it's it's been such a big taboo. It's changing in our culture, you know, along with sex and along with grief and along with death and along with race and along with, you know, these are all the big areas of life and money is up there. Yep. And so, yes, the whole money healing section is being willing and brave um, to step into exploring what is your money story, where does it come from, your family, your family lineage, um, what you learned growing up, what was taught you, what was not taught you, and then your own personality and what you, how you respond yeah. or react to the environment that you were brought up in. And that's how a financial identity or money story is formed. And then usually when we're in our 20s, we can start looking back and going, oh, you know, until then, I think until 25. I mean, I have some folks in the early 20s, but my community is really 25 to 80, I'd say, everywhere in between. That's when you 
developed enough and you have the capacity to start looking back and seeing, you know, what was the story that was shaped, bringing awareness, mindfulness to it, to your patterns, habits, again, what's working, what's not, and to start to make some changes in that. I mean, you know, a lot of people come to me and really just focus on what they're not doing well or where they're not smart around money or where they feel, you know, shame is usually the first stop. I'm not okay. I don't do this right. Everyone else learned about this, but I did not. Or if I came from this family, I would have been better. But guess what? You know, as we've already said, I, it's a high percentage of people that did not receive a full, complete financial education growing up. And then we did not receive, you know, emotional intelligence, emotional literacy Correct. education. Well, so that's why, you know, I was like, I'm merging financial literacy with emotional literacy, because these are two of the biggest things that were not taught to us. Right. right. So shame is usually first. I'm not OK. And then we start looking around. It's a big reason why I teach in groups and always have, because we get in there right away and we realize we're not alone. Yeah. We see ourselves in someone else or, or we see someone else talking and we all of a sudden see our mom and we understand her better or we see our sister or brother and we understand their money story or their patterns better you know it's it's why i've done groups for so long and and also do i only do one private session it's a deep dive and then i'm like get in my groups you know or i'll send you to someone who does more long-term ongoing work i just think you know, unshaming is usually the first stop for so many of us is yes. realizing none of us learn this. So we need to add in compassion. And we it's it's interesting because our story is so unique and we need to understand it at the same time. There's so many universal themes that you see when you step into a group or one right. of my programs or you read my books and you just see, oh, you know, wow, I came from a different background, but I do money in the same way or I came from the same background and we have some differences. So yeah. Yes, 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 yes. You are not alone. That is like such a theme of mine <laughs> that I try to reiterate to everyone. I mean, money's vulnerable and it's, it is, it, it can be scary to put yourself out there. Money itself is not scary because we can learn, right? We can, as long as we're open and willing to learn same thing with emotions, like emotional literacy, we didn't learn that as kids either. Right. Um, and luckily things are changing a little bit. My kids do have some of that in school now, which is amazing. Right. They're learning coping strategies and skills and things like that, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Right. So I think having both of those two things, the financial literacy and the, and the emotional literacy is so key to having healthy, well-balanced adults in this world. Right. And raising them. Yes. Before we wrap up, let, let, can we talk a little more about the other two phases, the money practices and money maps? Sure. Yeah. So I'll try and do it briefly. I mean, so money practices is what it sounds like. It's it's all these great self-care practices that we're doing in every other area of our life. Yep. We're applying it to our relationship to money as well. So I start out with money dates and money dates are just sitting down and saying, hey, money, what do you need? You know, you might have your to-do list of next steps you got to take. Oh, um, I need to set up a bookkeeping system. Okay, well, do I need to, can I teach myself that or do I need to get a trainer who can hold my hand? Oh, I need a trainer who will hold yep. my hand. So yep. I'm going to call that, call that person or do I need to move some money from my bank or I need to call the IRS or I need to, you know, so a money date 
it can be five minutes, 15 minutes just to start because sometimes that's all we can do. And that, you know, you want to just give yourself a win, not do a whole hour money date right away. You just sit down, definitely do a body check in first and get to one thing on your to-do list, you know, go online and look at your balances, right? Have that money conversation with your spouse, right? One thing now, Money dates, as I said, can be five minutes, 15 minutes to start just to get the grooves going. You could set a timer. It could be daily. It could be every few days. It could be twice a week. You can move up to 30 minutes. And there's lots of there's lots of things to do in a money date, but you start small. Right. And then you build from there. And money dates are weekly, monthly, quarterly. They're reconciling your bank accounts. They're setting up a new checking account. There's having money conversations with your kids, you know, age appropriate stuff. Um, I've been talking with my son since he was four, you know, about money, Mm -hmm. (laughs) different things each year. And so that's money dates, but money, but also in, in uh, the money practice area, I want you to learn a bookkeeping system. I want you to be able to track your numbers and see what they are. Now you don't have to do that forever, but yeah, I want you doing it for at least six months or a year. And then, feel free to pass it on to a bookkeeper. You know, I did my bookkeeping for years and the awareness piece that we talked about earlier around money stories. Wow. This is where I got to see my spending habits, income habits, right? It's a whole other level of a mindfulness practice. My husband used to hate bookkeeping and then he started pretending it was like a meditation practice and he does sitting meditation. Um, and that's what worked for him. So we're all different, but I want you to learn a tracking system. And I talk about that all over my blog and my books, my favorite options. And then there's a whole piece on renaming your categories based on your values to give them really fun, creative names. So instead of that damn debt, it's what big transition in my life was happening and let, let me rename it to my big Italian experience or, my health challenge or my right or you know you I know you really like that part so that's a little bit about that section but also to complete I also have a whole chapter in my book and blog posts on who are the different players on your financial support team Mm -hmm. because I didn't know the difference between a bookkeeper an accountant a financial coach a financial therapist a financial planner and so on years ago so There's a whole chapter in the book on what are their different roles, Mm -hmm. questions to ask when hiring them, how they're different, what they do. Um, So that's a big piece, you know, in the money practices, money dates, you know, section phase. And then the third phase is all about setting up what I call a money map, which people call a budget. And it's all about integrating your intentions or your goals, however you want to refer to it with the phase of life that you're in with your numbers with your priorities etc you know and I do a whole money map in three tiers what are your basic needs what is comfortable what is ultimate lifestyle for you and then this whole section is all about how do you know when you're making good money decisions and daily in small moments and medium-sized medium-sized purchases and large and there's lots of examples in my books and blogs. So that's, you know, it's and doing a money map is setting your intentions and then coming back monthly and seeing how you're doing or quarterly mm-hmm. or yearly. And there's 
so much money psychology mm-hmm. in that Some people are terrified to do a money map. Other people, that's their favorite part. They love visioning. Yeah. So there's money psychology challenges in all three phases, right? And there's learning and there's tools and practices and all of that. So that's a little bit. And know that it's not like you're done with your money healing one day and one day you're never going to have any money emotions come up. That's not accurate. Of course. <laughs> right? It's They're going to be ongoing, ongoing. Do they decrease? You bet. You know, do you get, you know, it's a whole different thing when you have tools yep. and you go, hey, anxiety, what's going on with you? We're in the bathroom of a car dealership. Let me say hello for a moment. And I'm going to just say hello, see where it is in my body, see if I can get my breath down back in my body, and then leave the bathroom and go, you know, have a little money date in the car dealership, right? I mean, there's so many money psychology moments in our purchases. So yeah, you're not done with emotion, money emotions one day, but you can learn how to catch them quicker decrease how big they feel and overwhelming they feel and have really great tools to work with them. Right. And then these other phases of money dates and how to make good money decisions. And it's an ongoing practice and journey that we do for the rest of our lives. So I'm teaching a foundation with these three phases and you'll just keep fine tuning as you go every baby step along the way with a lot, a lot, a lot of compassion for yourself and yeah. learning. I love it. Yes. I, I was just going to underscore that it's a journey. Cause like you said before, there is so many factors that go into this, right? We're constantly changing and evolving. Our lives are changing. Our families are changing our financial circumstances, right? Cash flow and, and income and all that stuff is constantly changing. So it's never one and done. And that's something that I want to make sure that people <laughs> fully recognize, right? They, I tend to think of money as like, or, or the money dates and handling the money as just like, okay, something we do once a month and then it's done. And it's not, it's like a, this is a relationship, just like it's a relationship to anything else that you have in your life. So it, you can't, you can't get around it, right? For me, I, I think of it as like, we have to deal with money every single day. So we have to be able to nurture our own relationship with it because if not, we're going to stress ourselves out every day or we're going to get frustrated or angry or whatever, whatever it is. And we have to be able to approach this in a healthy way that we're good with. Again, it's a relationship. So I love this. I, I, we are so aligned um, on a lot of these concepts and I just really appreciate you walking through everything. This is awesome. I could talk to you forever, um, but as we start to wrap up, can you please tell everyone a little more about how people can find you, how they can get your books and hear more from you? Yes, you bet. So my website, barrytesler.com, and that's B-A-R-I. Um, I get all different spellings for my name. Um, my website has a great blog. There's a podcast you can link to. You can link to my books, The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness is the first one, and The Art of Money Workbook is the second. You can get it, you know, um, everywhere online and in a lot of local bookstores as well in the U.S. and Canada. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and I just got on LinkedIn a few months ago. Um, so that's new. And I, as I mentioned, I offer one financial therapy session. It's a deep dive. And then two programs, my year long program 
for lay folks, which takes you through the three phases, four months at a time. And there's a weekly co-working session for that community. Um, and monthly office hours calls with me. And lastly, I do a mentor now. I'm about to start my third round. And this is for other therapists and coaches and financial professionals to have a safe and brave space to do their own money work and to get a lot of new money tools and skills and somatic tools that they can bring back to their clients. And that's that's a little bit about where you can find me. And you're always welcome to send my team a note if you have a question or need an additional referral or resource, just let us know. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. This has been such a pleasure and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me.